this week in cyberspace. That's right. We've been talking about it for weeks, but now it's official. 2023 is the hottest year on record. The Panama Canal is turning away ships because there's not enough water to get them through. Some ships are paying up to $4 million to jump the queue. But the slowest ship of all, it seems, is COP28, the UN's annual climate summit, a gathering of 200 states to come up with an agreement to address the climate crisis. With 2,500 delegates lobbying for the coal, oil and gas industry and vigorously rejecting climate science while at the same time pushing for an increase in hydrocarbon production, it's been a struggle to get any real goals that might turn the good ship COP around in time to save the planet's ecosystems. It was scheduled to wrap up about six hours ago. Brett, do you have any updates on uh, whether or not they came to any agreements at the end of the day? I've been following um, Twitter as closely as I can, uh, or X as they say. I'm trying to identify, you know, what sort of last minute negotiations and solutions will pop out the end of this two-week marathon of negotiations. And it still appears as though there is deadlock. Um, there's certainly a lot of communication that's happening behind the scenes. You know, horse trading will give you this if you give me that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we saw that last, the most recent draft, which is just so disappointing because after all these years, it's not just all these weeks, but all these years, mm. there has been no agreement to cut fossil fuels. 28 years. Cut fossil fuels. Yeah, 28 years 28 of years. these meetings. And, and and was on track for catastrophe. I mean, given all the vested interests yeah, in continuing so the fossil really, fuel industry, were, were there, was there anything that might actually provide some hope for us? Any cause for well, hope? Well, it's been interesting to see the role of the Australian government in all of this because, you know, under the Morrison government and the Howard government and everyone in between, there's just been so little commitment to reduction of fossil fuels because... You know, as you know, we're one of the major exporters of full fuels. You know, <laughs> Bowen, who's the chief negotiator for Australia, has been um, really quite active, I would say, in standing firm um, as one of the key countries, this like umbrella group of countries that have been trying to get um, fossil fuel phase out language in COP28, um, the communique. And um, that's what still is yet to be seen. So I've been, you know, somewhat surprised by how. Um, you know, sort of progressive, I would say, the Australian government's been on this. Yeah, they've said they were going to triple the renewable energy in Australia. But the opposition is backing nuclear power. The opposition does not back tripling uh, renewable energy in Australia, but does back this uh, nuclear push. The nuclear option? Yeah. The nuclear option. Uh, I mean, there was a side event um, well, you know, hosted I mean, by the World Nuclear Association and the Australian group called Coalition for Conservation, which flew seven Liberal and National MPs out to the summit, including Bridget McKenzie, Andrew Bragg, Perrin Davey, Dean Smith and Kevin Hogan from Lismore. You know, the thing is that if you want to reduce, um, you know, get to net zero by 2050, um, and all the steps along the way, 2030, 2040, et cetera, you know, the governments are looking for these, you know, solutions, right? If you're not going to cut fossil fuels, what are you going to do? You're going to have to, like, 
um, you know, search for alternatives, which are not the sort of new renewables that we're looking for, which is like wind and solar, et cetera. And of course they're turning to nuclear. You know, there are significant consequences for that, um, which I, me personally, I'm not supportive. I would much prefer to go with renewables, which aren't polluting. Um, but, um, you know, it doesn't surprise me that opposition and other um, independent, you know, backbenchers might be pushing for um, nuclear because, you know, they're not prepared to cut fossil fuels and put proper renewables in place. You know, sort of a positive that came out of um, the last COP was this idea about a loss and damage fund, um, which yeah. seems to have like, yeah, which seems to have been like a positive. I mean, not that, you know, the need for a loss and damage fund being a positive, but the fact that governments are pre were prepared at the beginning of COP28 to actually say, yes, we do need this fund. Um, been some pretty paltry kind of contributions to that fund. I think the US government put in $17.5 million. Um, Germany put in $100 million. The UAE put in $100 million. I mean, even if, you know, the goals, um, the fund's goal is to get to a billion, you know, but what does a billion dollars do when you have like these massive movements of people, fires, storms, you know, tornadoes, you, know, you name it. Um, it just seems like the idea is good. The concept is good in the same way as tripling our renewable energy um, um, goals is good and doubling our energy efficiency. That there seem to be the two kind of outcomes from this COP28 that seem to deliver well. But even so, all of these things without a cut and phase out, a very clear, just phase out of fossil fuels kind of doesn't seem to, to fit the bill of what we need here, as you've called now, the, you know, the climate catastrophe that's upon us. Yeah, so at the end of uh, every COP, is it, or is, is it every five years, they do a global stock take report card, which is called the GST, funnily enough. Um, it gets presented, apparently, at the end. Um, the United States, I hear, made about 200 edits and comments. According to one source, they took a broadsword to it. Uh, so w what kind of impact did that have? Did, did it water yeah. it down quite a bit? Well, I think that the U.S. government is having to, you know, deal with this, like, you know, the fact that we're about to head into 2024, which means that there's going to be a U.S. election at the end of next year. And there's a lot of domestic considerations here that the Biden administration is having, having to play against, particularly just this idea of climate denialism, the fact that, like, man-made contribution to the heating of the planet um, is false, uh, which is clearly false itself. Um, so, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the US government is making cuts, but they're also one of the governments that stood firm with Australia on this idea about a uh, phase out of of, um, of of fossil fuels. And that is, yeah, a positive, certainly a positive. And tripling the renewable component um, globally. Correct. Uh, Iran supports Russia in using natural gas as a bridging fuel. They say it's affordable and accessible. Um, there's always an excuse, right, to continue to extract gas and other fossil fuels. It, it just made me feel about, you know, the international nature of this conference and how many people are there trying to push their agendas, big players like Russia and Iran. Mm. Yeah, I mean, now we've talked about this before in this week in cyberspace, and one of the reasons why we're doing, you know, three weeks in a row on on climate and on environment is because of the absolute vital nature of this discussion and how important it is to get to an agreement 
Um, I mean, obviously, there's lots of side things that are happening, some of which we've mentioned, but the idea of having, you know, Iran and Russia in global climate negotiations is the same as having Russia and China in negotiations on another topic, whether it be on, you know, Ukraine, whether it be on um, on Gaza, whether it be on, you know, um, international trade. And I think what we're seeing here is that some governments actually want this, you know, in order to get that agreement that you're talking about, we need to have it's by consensus. So you need to have 198 governments signing. When you do get all of these governments together with their different agendas, plus the fossil fuel industry, etc., it's very, very difficult to come to a consensus. And that consensus, um, where it stands in this most recent text on, the, on that global stock take, is what the island nations are saying is a death certificate. And yeah. they actually said, like, we will not sign our own death certificate. That was language that was picked up by the Australian government as well, which said we will not sign a document that is the death certificate quote of our brothers and sisters in the Pacific. Um, and so, um, you know, how do we solve a climate, a global climate crisis with a global um, um, diplomacy system that is faulty itself? I understand the island countries we're also considering boycotting the whole COP process. Yeah, after, why wouldn't you? <laughs> after the, the attack by the COP28 president, Sultan Ahmed al-Jabba. Uh, our favourite friend. Our favourite friend, the oil baron in the Petro State, because of the attack on Mary Robinson. Um, right. They were angry at themselves that they trusted COP which is kind of a really devastating yeah. thing to hear from those nations that, you know, they can't well, even trust know, the body, you know, designated internationally to save their lives and their homes. Yeah. And, you know, I think part of that is because what we're seeing is this, like, you know, reluctance to include after all these years of phasing out uh, of fossil fuels, but also because of this like ridiculous reliance on these technologies um, like carbon capture and sequestration that is, you know, apparently going to deliver results for the Pacific Island, uh, for the island state, uh, uh, states, which is, you know, we can still continue to emit, but we're going to rely upon technologies to kind of hide it or suck it out of the atmosphere. Um, and so you know, it doesn't surprise me that the island states are like, screw this. Like, mm. we haven't actually caused the problem, mm. but we're seeing the rising seas mm. and we're seeing climate refugees and we're seeing the destruction of our communities. Mm. And you're kind of relying upon, you know, false snake oil that we talked about last week, <laughs> yeah. um, technology snake oil to get us out of here and, and kind of press releases. And that's mm. just clearly not enough. There were about 100,000 delegates at the conference, 2,500 from the coal and gas lobby, 85,000 from civil society. Apparently there was a real problem getting them all onto the site in Dubai and most of the morning panels had empty chairs in them. I mean, it's kind mm. of like a crazy thing trying to get these people, the cream of the world's climate scientists and energy experts and all sorts of change agents. They're left outside in the heat to pass through mm. security and badge checks to get inside. I mean, it doesn't. That doesn't surprise me either. Uh, you know, as a person who's been to you know way too many conferences and organised conferences, I know as well. I know how, like you know, security bag checks 
badge registration, like all of that can just be an absolute nightmare. But, you know, when we're dealing with this global crisis, like you'd want to get that stuff right. And the other thing that you'd want to get right, which we, you know, talked about over the last couple of sessions uh, on on COP28, um, which is, you know, the climate panel, the climate discussions that are happening in, in the UAE right now, is that is this right to protest? You know, it's not just about the 80, 80 of thousand civil society reps that are there, but it's about how they're able to express their views. And there was a small protest that happened on Saturday. I'm not sure if you saw that, Neil, but there was. Um, and it was calling for... Um, you know, it was calling for the release of actually some of the political prisoners in the UAE and in Egypt, and also calling for climate justice. Um, that protest was like so, um, you know, sort of um, constrained because of all the rules that we've talked about. You know, and how do you have climate justice when you when you don't allow people to actually express their views? Limiting of names, um, covering up of country flags, etc. All of this stuff that was not permitted in the blue zone where the protest was um, protest area was designated. Yeah, it does seem very difficult to get some headway here. And uh, as we were talking about, you know, the island states not having much faith at all in the process, but it's all we've got, unfortunately. Um, they say that no COP will ever achieve a phase-out of fossil fuels, which is obviously what we need uh, to protect the last remnants of species diversity and life on Earth. So I guess rats and cockroaches, over to you. let's hope not well let's see we've still got a few hours left like they may extend the deadline we might see the language that we're looking for um and you know we'll stay tuned we can talk about it next week in this week in cyberspace um but again like you know trying to find tech solutions to a very really quite a simple problem which is like stop emitting carbon mm. like and that's the transition the just transition transition that's required i don't want to simplify it and you know too much but like that's where we all need to head and that's why we need to have um you know a reduction or you know net zero by 2050 and all the bits in between plus those funds being supported mm. um, and plus the renewable energy commitments that seem to have come out of COP28. It's interesting that despite being one of the world's largest petrostates, the United Arab Emirates has concentrated solar energy. It's got this massive salt tower and huge amounts of solar panels pointed towards it, you know, generating you know, energy and battery storage. The economics are there. Like, mm. you know, renewable energy is renewable. And so, you know, I mean, the UAE and all of the, the, the region actually is, and, you know, the arguments of the Australian government is like, we will not be a world leader on renewable energy unless we actually get this, these commitments and these constraints, you know, in the agreement that comes out of, out of Dubai. And I think that, um, you know, of course, they're looking for the financial green thread that comes out of this, like how to go forward. Um, and, and renewables is clearly the answer. Exactly. I couldn't agree more. Brett Solomon, thanks so much. See you again next week. Thanks, Bye. Bye.